But we're going to continue our series on the book of Acts, and we're today looking at Acts chapter 6. We're going to look at the first seven verses. And I've preached on this passage about a year and a half ago in a different series that I was doing. Uh, and this is a different sermon with a different emphasis, but it's going to have probably some of the same applications uh, from that sermon. But my guess is you won't remember anything I said a year and a half ago, so it's going to be okay if I have a little bit of repeat here and there. Acts chapter 6, verse number 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the, the priests became obedient to the faith. I want to preach for just a little bit on the priority of revival. The priority of revival. People have different priorities. Different families have different priorities. And, and even within families, there are priorities that are different. That my priorities may not be the same as yours. And I think for the most part, my priorities are the same as my wife, but we probably have nuances and things that we value a little different or a little more, and maybe my top five, it may be her top five, but my number three may be her number two, and my number four may be her number five, and so we have uniqueness within our priorities. I heard a story of uh, a man that didn't have maybe the right priorities, he was a hunter, it says that this group of friends went deer hunting. They paired off in twos for the day, and that night one of the hunters returned alone without his partner, staggering under the weight of an eight-point buck. Where's Harry, he was asked. He said that Harry had a stroke of some kind. He's a couple of miles back up the trail. They said, you left Harry laying there and carried the deer back. His response was this, well, I figured no one was going to steal Harry. It's a matter of priorities, and for this man, his deer was more important than the health of his friend who had a stroke, because nobody's going to take Harry, but I don't want to leave my deer, because they may take my deer. Now, I'm not a big hunter, I've been hunting, it's not a big deal to me, so that's not a priority, but I know people that their entire schedules revolve around hunting and hunting season. In fact, in Louisiana, I, I knew people growing up that come deer season, they would quit their jobs and try to get on unemployment for the three to four months of deer season so they could hunt the entire deer season. 
I'm not sure that that's the best priorities. I, I play a little bit of golf now and then, but I went almost eight years without playing golf because even though I like it, it's, it's a lot of time and it's a lot of money. And so I was like, you know, it's just not that important to me. There are other things. Spending time with my family is more important to me than spending four hours on a golf course on a Saturday and spending 50 to 60 bucks around to play. It's just not that big a deal. But there are other people that they hunt and they fish and they, they golf and they do other things and they spend all of their time and all of their energy on what they see as their priority It's been said numerous times by numerous people that if you want to see what people value and you want to see what their priorities, look at their bank account. Actually, the saying is look at their checkbook, but most people don't use checkbooks anymore. But look at their bank account and look at their calendar. And where they spend their time and where they spend their money will tell you what they value and what their priorities are. If their calendar is filled with time with family, then they value family. But if it's filled with times of just going off and leaving their family and having a good time doing their own thing, their priorities are messed up. A former boss of mine, president of the Bible College in St. Louis, said this, people do what they want to do. That they can tell you they don't have the money, but they really will spend money on what they want to spend money on. They will spend their time on what they want to do, and then the things that you want them to do or you think they should do, they oh, we can't do that. But they do what they want to do. Priorities are unique to all of us, and we have our own set of values. But what I would tell you is that, that our priorities should be God's priorities. That what God has as a priority for us should be what we value and what we put as a priority. And He does have priorities for us. One of these priorities that God has for us and for actually for His church in general is this, is that He wants us to have revival and to exceed the expansion of His kingdom. He wants us to grow His kingdom. He wants to see His rule and His reign grow. And it's not about numbers in a local church like this, but it's ultimately about kingdom expansion. It's about getting more people into the kingdom of God, more people under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. That it is the kingdom of God, and it's a kingdom because there is a king, and Jesus Christ is that king. And he is the king of everywhere where he is ruling and reigning. That means if he's ruling and reigning in my heart, in my life, then he's the king. But if I'm the king, of my life that means he's not on the throne and he's not ruling and reigning in my life that means that i have some work to do to get back to the right priorities but as i said one of these priorities is revival revival defined as this an act or instance of reviving the state of being revived such as a renewed attention or interest in something another Secular definition, a new presentation or publication of something old. But the more specific definition for us is this. It is a period of renewed religious interest. It is a reawakening of what God wants to do in our lives. It is a reawakening of what God wants to do in the lives of the people we meet and the people we're in contact with. 
But there are some things that hinder revival. None of us could question, we're in the book of Acts, it is the expansion of the kingdom of God. It is God's disciples that He has spent uh, three and a half years raising up. They're now leading this church. Eleven of them are leading this church, and they've added the twelfth to replace Judas, and they're leading this church to expand the kingdom of God. It is what the book of Acts is all about. It is the expansion or the revival of the kingdom of God around the world. But there are some things that, that hinder Revival. There are some things that keep us from seeing what God wants to do in our lives. One of those is conflict. When people have issues with one another and they, they have conflict one with another. Dissension in the church will cause revival to cease. Dissension will cause people to not have the right focus. Apathy will cause people to not care about the things of God and not to seek after the things of God. A lack of focus, a lack of vision. Even this, too few people doing too much. That when you get a certain, a small group of people that are trying to do everything, then the kingdom of God can't flourish and can't grow like it needs to. It's been a long time since we've had that train bound for glory come through here. We want to do everything we can to see revival take place and to see revival not be hindered. And in our text today, the church is growing. Revival is in full, full swing in the book of Acts. Revival has, been, has overcome obstacles of persecution already and, and the kingdom of God has overcome Ananias and Sapphira who lied and and we, I preached about that or mentioned it last week where they offered or told the church that they had sold their property for one amount of money, but they were giving another amount of money. And they lied to the Holy Ghost. And the church has overcome all of that and has continued to push forward. But in our text today, they run into another problem that could hinder revival. So I want to look at four things in this particular passage as it relates to revival, the first of these is this, it is the problem of people. Not necessarily the problem with people, but the problem of people. Acts 6.1 says, Now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now I've mentioned to you before, maybe last week, that the church, many of them sold all of their possessions and they then gave everything to the church and now the church is taking care of the people. And specifically in that culture, the church was taking care of widows and orphans and then anybody else that had participated in that giving of all to the church. But the church was, while it was all Jewish, had two kinds of Jews in the church. One was the Hebrew are Hebraic Jews, and the other were the Hellenists, or the Hellenistic Jews. But before I get into those details, understand this, that everywhere there are people, there are problems. I had a guy, he was an evangelist, maybe more of a, just an itinerant preacher, and there is a difference between an evangelist and an itinerant preacher. 
An evangelist is someone who is focusing on sharing the gospel to see people saved. And an itinerant preacher is someone who just travels around preaching at different churches. And he said it somewhat tongue-in-cheek. But I was talking to him. He had preached at our church for three, weeks in, three weekends in a row. And I was talking to him after church. He said, man, I hate people. Well, that, and while he wasn't really serious, that's a problem <laughs> to hate people. If you're in the people business. I've heard other people say, man, pastoring would be great if it wasn't for the people. Everywhere that there are people, there are problems. If you've got a job, you're going to run into problems. Because you're going to be around people. You're going to, it's either the customers or it's your fellow co-workers or it's the boss. Or if you're at school, you might have friends and all this, but there are going to be people that are going to bother you. And people that are going to get in your space and people that are going to cause issues. Everywhere there are people, there are problems. I've referenced this before. A guy I know he wrote a book called People Are Pitiful and We're All People. Which means we're all pitiful in some way, shape, or form. We all have our problems. And so wherever there are people, there are problems. And it was no different in the first century. And it was no different in the first century church. And it's no different in this church. We don't really have any problems right now, but problems will arise Because people are involved. It's just the nature of the beast because we're all different. We have sometimes different values and different priorities and different backgrounds and different needs and different wants, different desires. And one thing that is true of most people is this, is that they are inherently selfish. I want what I want when I want it. That's why we have fast food. We don't want to wait. I want to eat right now. And just let them take an extra 60 seconds. And you're like, what's the deal? I thought this was fast food. Because we want what we want when we want it. And that's usually right now. And I, if I want, if there's one piece of cake and there's two people, you may give it, let them have it, but you really want it. At least for most people. You could always split it in two, but that would be the easy way out. So in the first century, we've got all of these that are, they're they're all Jews in this first century church. The Hebraic Jews were those who had stayed in Israel. They lived in the land of Israel. They spoke Hebrew. It was their first language. It's, It's the language of of their ancestors, and that was their primary, if not only, language was Hebrew. They lived in the same way, in the same manner that their ancestors lived. But then there were Hellenistic Jews. These were Jews who spoke Greek instead of Hebrew. They may, they may have spoken both, but their, their primary language was Greek, and they lived outside of Israel at some point, and maybe up until the birth of the church in Acts 2, these same, these same Jews had lived outside of Israel, and they came as part of that pilgrimage for the Feast of Pentecost. They adopted some of the ways of the Greeks and of the Romans, and so even within the church, we're all eth- they're all ethnically Jews, but they're looking at each other and going, man, you're still different than I am. You still, you still don't do things like I do, and you, you have a little bit of different values, and you're not, as, you're not as spiritual as I am because you're speaking Greek instead of Hebrew. That you're not wearing 
the same garments that our ancestors wore. You're not doing the same things just like our ancestors. And so there's conflict within the church and because the church is, pri- is predominantly Hebraic Jews because they're in Jerusalem. The Hellenistic Jews get to feeling bad about what's going on and they get to feeling like they're being neglected and that they're not getting their fair share. That the the Hebraic Jews are neglecting and, and they're being a little more stingy and the widows that were Hellenist were not getting what they needed. And the church has a decision to make. The church can let conflict and problems dictate the revival that God wants them to have. That, that the church can si- decide to, to, to take sides and let this, this dissension cause a lot of trouble and hinder what God wants to do in their lives. Or, they could overcome this obstacle and prioritize revival. They could overcome this this problem and, and continue to push the gospel forward. And it is that decision that they made. Which leads me to the second thing, and that is this. It is the preeminence of the spiritual. Serving or waiting on tables, it's that giving out of daily bread. But, but Peter said this, It is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. We can't stop doing the spiritual to take care of the physical. It doesn't mean that the physical is not important. Because they come up with a solution for that. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't really take care of the widows. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't make sure that they're taken care of and they're getting their fair share. But ultimately, he says this, is that it is not right that we should give up preaching the Word to do this. We need to do the spiritual first. The priority for Peter and the other preachers in the And the church were this, it was praying and preaching the Word. Spending time with God and then preaching the Word to the people. Spending time with God and then preaching the Word to the people. And then spending more time with God and preaching the Word to the people. He said that has to be our focus. That prayer deepens our relationship with God. Prayer empowers us to do what God has called us to do. The Word convicts and transforms and changes our hearts and lives, but it's prayer that enables us to preach the Word of God with liberty and power and boldness and the anointing of the Spirit. Peter said, we're going to put the emphasis on the spiritual. Peter was more than capable of serving bread. He wasn't just a preacher all his life. He had been a fisherman. He was more than capable of doing that. But he said that we got to make the spiritual important. And it's got to take the preeminence. And what I would tell you is this. is that you may not be called to preach. But the spiritual should take first place in your life. Prayer and the Word of God should take first place in your life. We have volunteers that help this church run and and to help Sundays and and other times throughout the week. And it takes people to do that. 
but helping and volunteering and serving donuts and greeting and, and picking up signs and making coffee and leading worship and praise singing and running sound and running the slides. All of that's good, but that doesn't take the place. That activity in the kingdom, that putting your gifts to work and, and serving in the kingdom doesn't take the place of the spiritual. That it's not, well, I, I did some stuff at church today, so I don't need to pray. I did some stuff at church today, so I don't need to spend time in the Word. No, we have to put the, the importance of the prayer and the Word of God at the top of our to-do list. But it's not an either-or, it's a both-and. It's doing the spiritual, but it's also taking care of the others. I mentioned that the Word convicts and transformed Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 2 Timothy 4, Paul would write to Timothy, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. The word of God is important. The word of God is powerful. Prayer is important. Being in tune with God is important. And in your life and my life, the spiritual should be preeminent. That spending time and our relationship with God should be more important than the other things we do for God. If I could say it this way, I guess since I have the microphone, I can. But I've been guilty of doing things for God and not doing things with God. And what I mean is this, is that I can do the stuff that He wants me to do. I can preach, I can talk to people, I can teach Bible studies. But if I'm not spending time with Him, I'm not sure He's with me while I'm doing those things for Him. But if I spend time with Him, then when I'm teaching and I'm preaching and I'm doing Bible studies and I'm doing other spiritual things, that I am doing it with Him. That wasn't in my notes. This, it, this isn't either, and I'm, I'm going I'm to need to hurry. But preachers are not always the spiritual people that we need to be. Heard a story of a man who preached all over the country. He was a great orator, a great preacher, preached all over the country. For decades. And then it came out one day that he had fallen into adultery. And people were shocked and dismayed that he had committed that particular sin. And how could this be? What's how how could he do this? And his son, who was also a minister of the gospel said this. It's been years 
since my father had a prayer life. Preaching camp meetings and conferences and seeing God move and do great things. But he was doing work for Jesus instead of work with Jesus. And whatever you do in the kingdom, make sure you're doing it with Jesus. That you're spending time with Him, getting to know Him, deepening that relationship with Him. I don't just go to the the Bible to find something to preach, but I, I go to the Bible devotionally as well because I need the Word of God to speak to me. I don't need just something to tell you. The Word of God needs to work in my life. The third thing that we see here is the prerequisite of maturity. In verse 3, the instruction of Peter and the others was, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of, of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Verse 5 and 6 that they were full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. They were people who were wise, that had the wisdom of God. They were people who were mature in the faith, and they put them in charge of the ministry. If you put an immature, a spiritually immature person over something like this, you never know what you're going to get. They may continue the practice and they may continue going, well, I'm not sure we're getting our fair share, but when you put people that are mature in their walk with God and mature in their faith, when you put them in charge of it, you know that they're going to do it right and everybody can look and say, man, we can trust them because they're people of character and they're people of integrity. They have a good reputation. They're full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. I would tell you that spiritual maturity will help get us through problems, and it helped the early church get through problems. But I would also tell you that spiritual maturity is not instantaneous. There are certain things about our salvation experience that are instantaneous, that the moment you come to Jesus Christ and the moment you're filled with His Spirit and He washes away your sins in the waters of baptism, that justification... A big theological word, that's a, it takes place in a moment where you're justified. And what it really means is now you are legally declared free of your sin. And you're now declared saved. And glorification, which is going to take pray, place when, when Jesus comes back for His church in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, and that glorification is going to take place in a moment. But there's a hyphen. There's a space in between justification and glorification, and we call that sanctification. And that is never instantaneous. What sanctification is, is that process of growing in maturity, that process of growing into the likeness of Jesus, that that process of becoming more like Him. In, in a human life, sanctification is, that, is like that time period between birth and death. They're bookends. But for most, there's a whole lot of growing in between. There's a whole lot 
You don't, you don't have a child come out of the womb and three days later they're a grown adult. It takes a, it's a process. And it's the same way spiritually that it's a process and it, it takes a while. But God is calling us to grow in the fruit of the Spirit and to become more like Him. And lastly, and fourthly, we see the progress of revival. And the Word of God continued, verse 7, to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. In Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Understand that the kingdom of God is all about the mission of God. Acts 1.8, it, it is the thesis of the whole book. But you will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria, and to the uttermost. That it is the expansion of God's kingdom. It is what this book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles, is all about. It is what the kingdom of God is all about, is expanding, as I mentioned earlier, God's rule and His reign in the lives of others. And so what I would tell you is, here we see that the message of Jesus, it needs to increase, and the number of disciples needs to increase. The number of those not following the fullness of truth needs to increase. But we are called to grow in maturity and in numbers. It is not an either or. It is not I'm going to be mature and someone else says, well, I'm going to go and make disciples. It's not an either or, it's a both and. The mission of Cross Church is to make fully devoted, developing, and deployed followers of Jesus. It's not enough just to be developing and growing in maturity, but He's calling us to be deployed. He's calling us to be fully devoted. That's that spiritual thing where we're spending time with Him. We're, we're spending time building our relationship with Him because He's first in our life. And we're spending time in maturity, growing in our character and growing in our integrity and growing in the fruit of the Spirit. We also have to be deployed on mission for Jesus Christ. The reality is, as we wrap this up, is... You cannot give what you do not possess. Which means you can't share a gospel that you do not believe. You can't share an experience that you do not have. You can't tell people about your encounter with Jesus if you didn't have an encounter with Jesus. We can only prioritize revival and live this passage out if we're in a saving relationship with Him. The Bible tells us that today is the day of 
of salvation. That was written over 2,000 years ago. But in whatever day you're ready to fully commit to following Jesus Christ, that's the day of salvation. That God is never the one that we are waiting on, but He is always waiting on us. So if you don't know Jesus fully, if you haven't experienced the new birth, as Peter explained it in Acts chapter 2, if you haven't repented of your sins, which means simply turning away from your sin and walking toward God. Turning away from your way and act of doing things and turning toward God. Committing to, to not follow your path, but committing to follow His path. That's repentance. If you haven't done that, today is the day of salvation. If you haven't taken the name of Jesus Christ in baptism, or in the words of Paul in Acts 22, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord, today could be that day. We have a baptistry for that purpose because it's what they've called, God has called us to do. Not just repent and turn from our sins, but to be baptized and take on the name of Jesus and have our sins washed away in baptism. If you haven't been filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, evidence with speaking in other tongues, today is the day of salvation. So my challenge for those of you that haven't experienced that, to make that decision today that you want to follow Jesus Christ and follow His path. You want to follow Him in baptism, follow Him in newness of life through the infilling of the Spirit. The Pentecostal revival of the 20th century began about 70 miles from here in Topeka, Kansas. Many of you probably have never heard that story. Bethel Bible College, Topeka, Kansas, headed up by Charles Parham, began to study the book of Acts, began to see that the people who were saved and who were filled with the Spirit in the book of Acts all spoke in tongues. Charles Parham is actually away traveling. And the students there at the turn of the... At the change of the year going from 1900 to 1901 had a revival or had a prayer meeting rather and in that prayer meeting Agnes Osmond began to speak in other tongues just like the book of Acts that rebirth of Pentecostalism and it's not that there weren't others that were doing that throughout history from the early church until that time, but it was kind of off in a corner and people were ostracized and pushed away. But when that began to happen, 
in Topeka, Kansas, the Pentecostal revival began to spread around the world. And it came to Kansas City and a big revival in Galena, Kansas. And then down to Houston and Azusa Street in, Cal- in Los Angeles in 1906. Revival spread around the world. But in 1904 and 1905, in that interim, there was a Welsh revival, a revival in Wales. One of the catalysts for that revival was a young man of 26 named Evan Roberts. The story goes that God would wake him up in the middle of the night at 1 o'clock in the morning and he would pray for four hours until he had to go to, to work. And, but it wasn't just him. God was reviving a movement of prayer that was going on all over Wales. And specifically, one of the big pieces of that revival was the coal miners from where most of the United Kingdom would get their coal and people down in those mines in an unsafe environment, but when they would come out on breaks and come off their shifts or before their shifts, there was Evan Roberts preaching the gospel. It is said that over 100,000 people were saved in one year, as many as 150,000 from 1904 to 1905. Not really just because of one man, but because of the emphasis on prayer and the preaching of the Word. And what I would tell you is that we can see God do great things here and now. But it's incumbent upon us to put the priority on revival. That nothing can stop the expansion of His kingdom. And nothing should stop what God wants to do in our lives and through this church. We can't let anything hinder revival. We must make it a priority. Would you stand together? I have a four-part call to action for you, and I'll just remind you, this is on the website. You go to today's sermon, you can click links, and you can see the notes, or you can go to the church app, and you can see it as well. But what I would tell you first is this, to put aside anything that hinders the mission. That schedule conflicts faulty priorities put them aside and focus on the kingdom second make your relationship with God first place in your life nothing trumps our relationship with God your boss will let you down your family They may not, but they could let you down. Your spouse could disappoint you. But Jesus will never disappoint. Jesus will never let you down. And He is calling us to put Him first in our lives. Thirdly, we are to strive to grow in the character and likeness of Jesus. Fourthly, you're going to be shocked but share the gospel everywhere with everyone 
It's what God has called us to do. It is the mission of the kingdom. Would you close your eyes? Would you lift your hands right now? Would you begin to talk to the Lord Jesus? We love you. God, we want to do what you have called us to do. We want to be the people that you have called us to be. God, we want to be involved and at work in your kingdom to prioritize the revival that you've called us to. God, we want to be and see everything that you want us to see and we will, everything you want us to be. We want to be that today. God, we love you. We magnify your name today. We magnify your name.